Welcome to Strand Baptist Church Podcast. We have officially entered lockdown level one. With that, we will have podcast episodes released every Tuesday and every Thursday. I trust that this will be a blessing to you. God bless. Good afternoon, good evening, depending on what time you are listening, and welcome to this episode, uh, Thursday's episode of Strand Baptist Church's podcast, and uh, it is also Heritage Day, so happy Heritage Day to you all, and I trust as good South Africans you are enjoying a lekker braai with your family and with your friends. Um, With that, (laughs) we have to get to today's episode. Um, And as I've mentioned on Tuesday, it is just me for this week. And I hope again to change that next week. My apologies about the sound. It sounds like somebody's drilling here. (laughs) And I'm not able to obviously change that. So my apologies about that. I'm going to just try and uh, go right through that. Hopefully it's not too much of a disturbance to you. Um, Where was I? Oh yes, next week I hope to have someone join me to discuss this Sunday's sermon. Now, uh, this past Sunday we heard our pastor speak about the Lord's Supper. It was an important thing for, as I mentioned, as you know, I'm sure you felt, it was seven months since we last partook of the Supper. Now, On Tuesday, we looked at the controversy with regards to the Lord's Supper in Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli. And this week, we'll look at John Calvin's contribution to the doctrine of the Lord's Supper and where, as Protestants, we actually stand. As Baptists, where do we stand? And so, obviously, to ground that belief, we must go to the Holy Scriptures. And with that, let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to verse 26. We know this passage well. We heard it on Sunday, but I'll read it to you again. It reads, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now that is the passage that we often associate with the institution of the Lord's Supper by our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we read that passage, we see... The Lord Jesus Christ said twice, do this in remembrance of me. When you eat and when you drink, do it in remembrance of me. So may I just say here, in defense of memory, uh, memory matters. Very often when you read church history, you would often see this description when it comes to Zwingli of mere memorial. Or you believe it is just the memory. And so I just want to say at the outset that the symbolic aspect to the Lord's Supper really does matter. I will say, and I'm sure you can say as well, that one of the major problems with our own hearts and in our own minds is that we are 
prone to forget the goodness of God. We are prone to forget the gospel of grace. We are prone to forget our own sinfulness. And in the Lord's Supper, we get the great reminder. The great reminder that as we eat and drink, we remember Christ's death for our sins. We remember that as we eat of the bread and the wine, as much as that nourishes the human body, so Christ's body and Christ's blood nourishes the human soul. And it reminds us of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, I just want to say again, memory absolutely matters. So when it comes to John Calvin and his contribution to the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, it is not in opposition to the fact that memory matters. However, he wanted to impress it upon our minds that as we partake of the supper, something more than memory is happening. We are not merely remembering what has happened. John Calvin sought to say and emphasize that we truly, although not literally, feed by faith on the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said this, it's a lengthy quote, so bear with me. He says, But though it seems an incredible thing that the flesh of Christ, while at such a distance from us in respect of place, should be food to us, let us remember how far the secret virtue of the Holy Spirit surpasses all our conceptions, and how foolish it is to wish to measure its immensity by our feeble capacity. Therefore, what our mind does not comprehend, let faith conceive, that the Spirit truly unites things separated by space. That sacred communion of flesh and blood by which Christ transfuses his life into us, just as if it penetrated our bones and marrow, he testifies and seals in the supper. And that not by presenting a vain or empty sign, but by there exerting an efficacy of the Holy Spirit by which he fulfills what he promises. Now Carl Truman comments upon this passage and he says that for Calvin the supper makes a difference in what it offers. It offers a true spiritual feeding on Christ in a way that is powerful so that the signs are not just memories but they are seals of God's promises and they make a tangible difference to us. So with that, again, let me emphasize, memory matters. The Lord Jesus says twice, do this in the remembrance of me. And it's easy and simple for us to understand that. We must keep that in mind. And yet we also see in 1 Corinthians 11 that it reminds us of the absence of Christ. Verse 26 reads, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is also a real seriousness about the supper. Look at verse 29 and verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul says, Whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many are weak and ill, and some have even died. And so we see again the seriousness of the Lord's supper. And with that we see that the Lord's Supper is not only a memory. But as Protestants have communicated, it is a means of 
grace. It's something that actually affects the life of the believer. Now you might ask at this point, what, wait, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? What extra thing do we have through the Lord's Supper that we don't have through the preaching of the word? Well, on one level, it adds nothing extra at all. Both the word of God and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is attached to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so that which I grasp by the word through the preaching of the gospel through faith is also that which I receive through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper by faith, namely Christ. (laughs) We receive Christ in the Supper, we receive Christ in the Word of God. And so the Supper offers the same Christ as the Word of God. And that makes the Supper an important means of grace for the believer. Well, then you might say, well, does that not mean that the Lord's Supper is just superfluous or uh, redundant at that point? Well, no. Although the Lord's Supper gives us the same Christ as the Word in a different form, so we have it in a, a picture in front of us, we taste it, we feel it, we smell it. It doesn't mean that it's not a big deal. The form in which something comes actually matters. It is a significant thing. Think about this. This is a great example that I got from Carl Truman. He speaks about a husband and a wife. He says that a husband may, and indeed the husband should, something we should all uh, heed, (laughs) tell his wife every day that he loves her. This is a verbal declaration and is surely a typical part of a healthy and loving marriage. If a husband never says he loves his wife, there is almost certainly something wrong in that relationship. On occasion, however, he will also attach to that verbal statement a gift, maybe chocolate, maybe perfume, maybe jewelry, maybe flowers, to say the same thing. The gift says nothing different to the words. Right? The the gift says, I love you. And when he says, I love you, he communicates the very same thing. And so with that, the gift represents nothing other than what the husband has already said to his wife. But of course, notice here that in this illustration, the gift actually makes a difference. It makes a difference when a husband backs up his words with actions, even if such actions are relatively trivial. How much does a box of chocolate actually cost? Not that much. Not even a day's pay. And yet that gift, as we know, can mean so much to our wives. That gift, a tangible statement of our love to our wives, means something. And to prove then the importance of presence in reinforcing or sealing this idea of love, think of this 
of the likely outcome if the husband decides not to give his wife the gift on her birthday, if he offers as his defense the fact that he tells her he loves her every day and that the gift is unnecessary. It is, of course, highly unlikely that such a defense will prove satisfactory to your wife. It's not a good thing to do. Please don't do that. <laughs> now, we can even apply that analogy, although imperfect, to Calvin's understanding of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper gives us the same Christ to feed on in a different way from that provided by God's word alone. It involves taste, touch, even sight for those not blind. The supper enriches the way that we receive the Lord Jesus. Not that it is necessary for salvation any more than a ring is necessary for a marriage, but it does reinforce and seal that promise of grace. Again, the analogy is imperfect. But the point is this, the Lord's Supper is more than a memory. If it were just a case of recalling to mind the death of Christ, then words would seem quite adequate for the task, wouldn't it? But the Lord's Supper is a meal. And when we meet with friends over a meal, there is something intangibly intimate that is not present when we simply chat with him at the office or talk over the phone or meet with him on Zoom and that Christ eats with his disciples and commands his followers to do the same again speaks of an intimacy and of a presence in a way that something intended as a mere memory does not. And so, the Lord's Supper is a means of grace because when it is attached to the word, it presses Christ on the believer in a powerful and yet different way. To quote Carl Truman, to eat the bread and drink the wine is not only to be reminded of Christ's sacrifice, but it is to know his presence through the Spirit. The Lord has given in the supper a great gift to the church, one which those who take his grace serious, seriously would do well to observe. Trust that this has been beneficial to you again. Um, enjoy your Heritage Day. Enjoy your time with your family. And thank the Lord for the good gifts of friends and family and a day to celebrate. God bless. Mm -hmm.